Volume One, Chapter Two of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two and warm and light i felt her clasping hand when twined in mine she followed where i went there is a touch of childishness in all honeymoon couples a something which suggests the babes in the wood left to play together by the arch deceiver fate wandering hand in hand in the morning sunshine gathering flowers pleased with the mossy banks and leafy glades like those children of the old familiar story before ever hunger or cold or fear came upon them before the shadow of night and death stole darkly on their path even godfrey carmichael a sensible highly educated young man whose pride it was to march in the van of progress and enlightenment even he had that touch of childishness which is adorable in a lover and which lasts oh so short a time transient as the bloom on the peach the down on the butterfly's wing the morning dew on a rose he had loved her all his life as it seemed to him they had been companions friends lovers for longer than either could remember so gradual had been the growth of love yet the privilege of belonging to each other was not the less sweet because of this old familiarity are we really married really husband and wife godfrey asked juanita nestling to his side as they stood together in the wide veranda where they were breakfasted on these july mornings among climbing roses and clematis husband and wife such prosaic words i heard you speak of me to the vicar yesterday as my wife it gave me quite a shock were you sorry to think it was true sorry no but wife the word has such a matter-of-fact sound it means a person who writes cheques for the house accounts revises the bill of fare and takes all the blame when the servants do wrong shall i call you my idol then my goddess the enchantress whose magic wand wafts gladness and sunshine over my existence no call me wife it is a good word after all godfrey a good serviceable word a word that will stand wear and tear it means for ever they breakfasted tete-a-tete -tete in their bower of roses they wandered about the chase or sat in the garden all day long they led an idle desultory life like little children and wondered that evening came so soon and stayed up late into the summer night steeping themselves in the starshine and silence which seemed new to them in their mutual delight there was a lovely view from that broad terrace with its italian balustrade and statues its triple flight of marble steps descending to an italian garden which had been laid out in the augustan age of pope and addison when the distinctive feature of a great man's garden was stateliness here was the lover's favourite loitering-place when the night grew late juanita looking like juliet in her loose white silk tea-gown with its venetian amplitude of sleeve and its medieval gold embroidery the fashionable dressmaker who made that gown had known how to adapt her art to miss dalbrook's beauty the long straight folds accentuated every line of the finely moulded figure fuller than the average girlish figure suggestive of juno rather than psyche she was two inches taller than the average girl and looked almost as tall as her lover as she stood beside him in the moonlight gazing dreamily at the landscape this hushed and solemn hour on the verge of midnight was their favourite time then only were they really alone secure in the knowledge that all the household was sleeping and that they had their world verily to themselves and might be as foolish as they liked once at sight of a shooting star juanita flung herself upon her lover's breast and sobbed aloud it was some minutes before he could soothe her my love my love what does it mean he asked perplexed by her agitation i saw the star and i prayed that we might never be parted 
and then it flashed upon me that we might and i could not bear the thought she sobbed clinging to him like a frightened child my dear one what should part us except death ah godfrey death is everywhere how could a good god make his creatures so fond of each other and yet part them so cruelly as he does sometimes only to unite them again in another world nita i feel as if our two lives must go on in an endless chain circling among those stars yonder which could not have been made to be for ever unpeopled there are happy lovers there at this instant i am convinced lovers who had lived before us here and have been translated to a higher life yonder lovers who have felt the pangs of parting the ecstasy of reunion he glanced vaguely towards that starry heaven while he fondly smoothed the dark hair upon juanita's brow it was not easy to win her back to cheerfulness that vision of possible grief had too completely possessed her godfrey was fain to be serious finding her spirits so shaken so they talked together gravely of that unknown hereafter which philosophy or religion may map out with mathematical distinctness but which remains to the individual soul for ever mysterious and awful her husband found it wiser to talk of solemn things finding her so sad and she took comfort from that serious conversation let us lead good lives dear and hope for the best in other worlds he said there is sound sense in the buddhist theory that we are the makers of our own spiritual destiny and that a man may be in advance of his fellow-men even in getting to heaven those grave thoughts had little place in juanita's mind next day which was the first day the lovers devoted to practical things they started directly after breakfast for a tete-a-tete drive to millbrook priory where certain alterations and improvements were contemplated in the rooms which were to be juanita's godfrey's widowed mother lady jane carmichael had transferred herself and her belongings to a villa at swanage where she was devoting herself to the creation of a garden which was on a small scale to repeat the beauties of her flat old-fashioned flower-garden at the priory it irked her somewhat to think how long the hedges of yew and holly would take to grow but there was a certain pleasure in creation she was a mild loving creature with an aristocratic profile silvery-gray hair and a small fragile figure a woman who looked a patrician to her finger-tips and whom everybody imposed upon her blue blood had not endowed her with the power to rule she adored her son was very fond of juanita and resigned her place in her old home without a sigh the priory was a great deal too big for me she told her particular friends i used to feel very dreary there when godfrey was at oxford and afterwards for of course he was often away it was only in the shooting season that the house looked cheerful i hope they will soon have a family and then that will enliven the place a little millbrook village and millbrook priory lay twelve miles nearer dorchester than cheriton chase juanita enjoyed the long drive in the fresh morning air through a region of marsh and watery meadow where the cattle gave charm and variety to a landscape which would have been barren and monotonous without them a place of winding streams on which the summer sunlight was shining the priory was by no means so fine a place as cheriton but it was old and not without interest and lady jane was justified in the assertion that it was too large for her it would be too small perhaps for sir godfrey and his wife in the days to come when in the natural course of events james dalbrook would be at rest after his life labour and cheriton would belong to juanita no doubt they will like cheriton better than the priory when we are all dead and gone said lady jane with her plaintive air i only hope they will have a family big houses are so dismal without little people the idea of a family was almost a craze with lady jane carmichael she had idolized her only son 
had been miserable at every parting and it had seemed a hard thing to her that there was not more of him as she had herself expressed it godfrey has been the dearest boy i only wish i had six of him she would say piteously and now her mind projected itself into the future and she pictured a bevy of grandchildren numerous as a covey of partridges in the upland fields of the home farm at cheriton and fancied herself lavishing her hoarded treasures of love upon them she had grandchildren already and to spare the offspring of her two daughters but these did not bear the honoured name of carmichael and though they were very dear to her maternal heart they were not what godfrey's children would be to her she would be gone she told herself before they would be old enough to forsake her she would be gone before those young birds grew too strong upon the wing a blessed spell of golden years lay before her nursery and then a schoolroom and then perhaps before the last dim closing scene a bridal a granddaughter clinging to her in the sweet sadness of leave-taking a fair young face crowned with orange flowers pressed against her own in the bride's happy kiss and then she would say nunc dimitis and feel that her cup of gladness had been filled to the brim the lover's talk was all of that shadowy future as the pair of greys bowled gaily along the level road the horses were godfrey's favourite pair and belonged to a team of chestnuts and greys which had won him some distinction last season in hyde park when the coaches met at the corner by the magazine and when the handsome miss dalbrook lord cheriton's heiress was the cynosure of many eyes the thoughts of sir godfrey and his wife were far from hyde park and the four-in-hand club this morning their minds were filled with simple rural anticipations and had almost a patriarchal turn as of an arcadian pair whose wealth was all in flocks and herds and green pastures like these by which they were driving the priory stood on low ground between wareham and wimborne sheltered from the north by a bold ridge of heath screened on the east by a little wood of oaks and chestnuts spanish chestnuts with graceful drooping branches whose glossy leaves contrasted with the closer foliage of the rugged old oaks the house was built of purbeck stone and its bluish-grey was touched with shades of gold and silver-green where the lichens and mosses crept over it while one long southern wall was clothed with trumpet-ash and magnolia myrtle and rose as with a closely interwoven curtain of greenery from which the small latticed windows flashed back the sunshine nothing at the priory was so stately as its counterpart at cheriton there were marble balustrades and rural gods there on the terrace here there was only a broad gravel walk along the southern front with a little old shabby stone temple at each end at cheriton three flights of marble steps led from the terrace to the italian garden and then again three more flights led to a garden on a lower level and so by studied gradations to the bottom of the slope on which the mansion was built here house and garden were on the same level and those gardens which lady jane had so cherished were distinguished only by an elegant simplicity between the garden and a park of less than fifty acres there was only a sunk fence and the sole glory of that modest domain lay in a herd of choice channel island cows which had been lady jane's pride she had resigned them to juanita without a sigh although each particular beast had been to her as a friend my dear what could i do with cows in a villa she said when juanita suggested that she should at least keep her favourites beauty and maydew and coquette of course as you say i could rent a couple of paddocks but i should not like to see the herd divided besides you will want them all by and by when you have a family nita stepped lightly across the threshold of her future home the old grey porch was embedded in roses and trailing passion flowers 
everything had a shabby old-world look compared with sheraton here there had been no improvement for over a century all things had been quiescent as in the palace of the sleeping beauty what a dear old house it is godfrey and how everything in it speaks to me of your ancestors your own ancestors not other people's that makes all the difference at cheriton i feel always as if i were surrounded by malevolent ghosts i can't see them but i know they are there those poor strangways how they must hate me if there are any living strangways knocking about the world houseless or at any rate landless i don't suppose they feel over kindly disposed to you said godfrey but the ghosts have done with human habitations it can matter very little to them who lives in the rooms where they were once happy or miserable as the case may be has your father ever heard anything of the old family never he says there are no strangways left on this hemisphere there may be a remnant of the race in australia he says for he heard of a cousin of reginald strangways who went out to brisbane years ago to work with a sheep farmer on the darling downs there is no one else of the old race and the old name that he can tell me about i take a morbid interest in the subject you know if i were to meet a very evil-looking tramp in the woods and he were to threaten me i should suspect him of being a strangway they all must hate us with a very unreasonable hatred then nita for it was no fault of your father's that the family went to the bad i have heard my father talk of the strangways many a time over his wine they had been a reckless improvident race for ever so many generations men who lived only for the pleasure of the hour whose motto was carpe diem in the worst sense of the word there was a strangway who was the fashion for a short time during the regency wore a hat of his own invention and got himself entangled with a popular actress who sued him for breach of promise he dipped the property there was a racing strangway who kept a stable at newmarket and married well never mind how he dipped the property there was georgina strangway an heiress and a famous beauty in the sailor king's reign two of the royal dukes wanted to marry her but she ran away with a bandmaster in the blues she used to ride in hyde park at nine o'clock every morning in a green cloth spencer trimmed with sable at a time when very few women rode in london she saw the bandmaster fell over head and ears in love with him and bolted they were married at gretna he spent as much of her fortune as he could get at and was reported to have thrashed her before they parted she set up a boarding-house at ostend gambled drank cheap brandy and died at five-and-forty what a dreadful ghost she would be to meet said nina with a shudder from first to last they have been a bad lot concluded sir godfrey and the isle of purbeck was a prodigious gainer when your father became master of cheriton chase and baron cheriton of cheriton that is what they must feel worst of all said nita speaking of the dead and the living as if they were one group of banished shades it must be hard for them to think that a stranger takes his title from the land that was once theirs from the house in which they were born poor ill-behaved things i can't help being sorry for them my fanciful nita they do not deserve your pity they made their own lives love they have only suffered the result of their own karma i only hope they will be better off in their next incarnations and that they won't get that dreadful eighth world which leads nowhere said juanita she made this slight allusion to a creed which she and her lover had discussed seriously many a time in their graver moods 
they had read mr sinnett's books together and had given themselves up in some wise to the fascinating theories of esoteric buddhism and had been impressed by the curious parallel between that semi-fabulous reformer of the east and the teacher and redeemer in whom they both believed they went about the house together nita admiring everything as if she were seeing those old rooms for the first time the alterations to be made were of the smallest nita would allow scarcely any change whatever was nice enough for lady jane must be good enough for me she said decisively when godfrey proposed improvements which would have changed the character of his mother's morning-room a conservatory and a large bay window opposite the fireplace for instance but it is such a shabby old hole compared with your room at cheriton it is a dear old hole sir and i won't have it altered in the smallest detail i adore these deep-set windows and wide window-seats and this apple-blossom chintz is simply delicious faded sir what of that one can't buy such patterns nowadays for love or money and that old chinese screen must have belonged to a mandarin of the highest rank my only feeling will be that i am a wretch in appropriating dear lady jane's surroundings this room fitted her like a glove she is charmed to surrender it to you love and your forbearance in the matter of improvement will delight her your improvements would have been destruction a conservatory opening out of that window would suggest a city man's drawing-room at tulse hill i have seen such in my childhood when mother used to visit odd people on the surrey side of the river loveliest insolence oh i am obliged to cultivate insolence it is a parvenu's only defensive weapon we new-made people always give ourselves more airs than you who were born in the purple she roamed from room to room expatiating upon everything with a childlike pleasure delighted at the idea of this her new kingdom over which she was to reign with undivided sovereignty cheriton was ever so much grander but at cheriton she had only been the daughter of the house indulged in every fancy yet in some wise in a state of subjection here she was to be sole mistress with godfrey for her obedient slave and now show me your room sir she exclaimed with pretty authority i may wish to make some improvements there you shall work your will with them dearest as you have done with their master he led her to his study and general den a fine old room looking into the stable-yard capacious but gloomy this is dreadful she cried no view and ever so far from me you must have the room next the morning-room so that we can run into each other and talk at any moment that is one of the best bedrooms what of that we can do without superfluous bedrooms what i cannot do without you this room of yours will make a visitor's bedroom if he or she doesn't like it he or she can go away and leave us to ourselves which we shall like ever so much better shan't we she asked caressingly as if life were going to be one long honeymoon of course he assented kissed the red frank lips and assured her that from him bliss meant a perpetual tete-a-tete yes his study should be next her boudoir so that even in his busiest hours he should be able to turn to her for gladness refreshing himself with her smiles after a troublesome interview with his bailiff taking counsel with her about every change in his table sharing her interest in every new book i will give orders about the change at once he said so that everything may be ready for us when you are tired of cheriton they lunched gaily in the garden nina hated eating indoors when the weather was good enough for an al fresco meal 
they lunched under a spanish chestnut that made a tent of foliage on the lawn in front of the house they lingered over the meal full of talk finding a new world of conversation suggested by their surroundings and then the greys were brought round to the hall door and they started on the return journey it began to rain before they reached cheriton and the afternoon clouded over with a look of premature winter no saunterings on the terrace this evening no midnight meanderings among the cypresses and yews the gleaming statues and dense green walls as if they had been romeo and juliet wedded and happy in the garden at verona for the first time since the beginning of their honeymoon they were obliged to stay indoors it is positively chilly exclaimed juanita as her maid carried off her damp mantle my dearest love i'm afraid you've caught cold said godfrey with apprehension do i ever catch cold godfrey she cried scornfully and indeed her splendid physique seemed to negative the idea as she stood before him tall and buoyant with a carnation of health upon cheek and lips her eyes sparkling her head erect well no my juno i believe you are as free from all such weakness as human nature can be but i shall order fires all the same and i implore you to put on a warm gown i will she answered gaily you shall see me in my copper plush thanks love that is a vision to live for shall we have tea in my dressing-room or in yours in mine i think we have taken tea in almost every other room in the house as well as in every corner of the garden it had been one of her girlish caprices to devise new places for their afternoon tea whether it had been as keen a delight to the footman to carry japanese tables and bamboo chairs from pillar to post was open to question but juanita loved to colonize as she called it i feel that wherever we establish our teapot we invest the spot with the sanctity of home she said fires were ordered and tea in sir godfrey's dressing-room it was lord dalbrook's dressing-room actually and altogether a sacred chamber it had been one of the best bedrooms in the days of the strangways but his lordship liked space and had chosen this room for his den a fine old room with full-length portraits of the sir joshua period let into the panelling the furniture was of the plainest and very different from the luxurious appointments of the other rooms for these very chairs and tables and yonder substantial mahogany desk had done duty in james dalbrook's chambers in the temple thirty years before so had the heavy-looking clock on the chimney-piece surmounted by a bronze saturn leaning upon his scythe so had the brass candlesticks and the ink-stained red morocco blotter on the desk he had fallen asleep in that capacious armchair many a time in the small hours after struggling with the intricacies of a railway bill or poring over a volume of precedence the thick persian carpet the velvet window curtains panelled walls and fine old fireplace gave a look of subdued splendour to the room in spite of the dark and heavy furniture there was a large vase of roses on the desk where lord cheriton never tolerated a flower and there were more roses on the chimney-piece and some smart bamboo chairs many-coloured like joseph's coat had been brought from nita's morning-room and so with logs blazing on the floriated iron dogs and a scarlet tea-table set out with blue and gold china and a moorish copper kettle swinging over a lamp the room had as gay an aspect as any one could desire juanita had made her toilette by the time the tea-table was ready and came in from her room next door a radiant figure in a gleaming copper-coloured gown flowing loose from throat to foot and with no adornment except a broad collar and cuffs of old venice point her brilliant complexion and southern eyes and ebon hair triumphed over the vivid hue of the gown and it was at her sir godfrey looked as she came beaming towards him and not at the dressmaker's masterpiece how do you like it 
she asked with childlike pleasure in her fine raiment i ought to have kept it till october but i couldn't resist putting it on just to see what you think of it i hope you won't say it's gaudy my dearest you might be clad in a russet cloud for anything i should know to the contrary a quarter of a century hence when you are beginning to fancy yourself passe we will talk about gowns it will be of some consequence then how you dress it can be none now that is just a man's ignorance godfrey she said shaking her finger at him as she seated herself in one of the bamboo chairs a dazzling figure in the light of the blazing logs which danced about her eyes and hair and copper-coloured gown in a bewildering manner you think me handsome i suppose eminently so and you think i should be just as handsome if i dressed anyhow in a badly fitting tussore for instance made last year and cleaned this year and with a hat of my own trimming eh godfrey every bit as handsome that shows what an ignoramus a university education can leave a man my dearest boy half my good looks depend upon my dressmaker not for worlds would i have you see me a dowdy if only for a quarter of an hour the disillusion might last a lifetime i dress to please you remember sir it was of you i thought when i was choosing my trousseau i want to be lovely in your eyes always 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 you need make no effort to attain your wish you have put so strong a spell upon my eyes that with me at least you are independent of the dressmaker's art again i say you don't know what you are talking about but frankly now do you think this gown too gaudy that coppery background to my murillo madonna no love the colour suits you to perfection she poured out the tea and then sank back in her comfortable chair in a reverie languid after explorations at the priory full of a dreamlike happiness as she basked in the glow of the fire welcome as a novel indulgence at this time of the year there is nothing more delightful than a fire in july she said her eyes wandered about the room idly do you call them handsome she asked presently godfrey looked puzzled was she still harping on the dress question or was she challenging his admiration for those glorious eyes which he had been watching in their rovings for a lazy five minutes i mean the strangways that is their famous beauty the girl in the scanty white satin petticoat with the goat imagine any one walking about a wood with a goat in white satin what queer ideas portrait painters must have had in those days she is very lovely though isn't she she is not my ideal i don't admire that narrow cupid's bow mouth the lips pinched up as if they were pronouncing prunes and prism the eyes are large and handsome but too round the complexion is wax dollish no she is not my ideal i should have been miserable if you had admired her there is a face in the hall which i like ever so much better and yet i doubt if it is a good face which is that the face of the girl in that group of john strangway's three children that girl with the tousled hair and bright blue eyes yes she must have been handsome but she looks i hope you won't be shocked but i really can't help saying it that girl looks a devil poor soul her temper did not do much good for her i believe she came to a melancholy end how was that she eloped from a school in switzerland with an officer in a line regiment a love match but she went wrong a few years afterwards left her husband and died in poverty at boulogne i believe another ghost exclaimed juanita dolefully poor lost soul she must walk i can't help feeling sorry for her 
married to a man who was unkind to her perhaps and whom she discovered unworthy of her love and then years afterwards meeting someone worthier and better whom she loved passionately that is dreadful oh godfrey if i had been married before i saw you and we had met and you had cared for me god knows what kind of woman i should have been perhaps i should have been one of those poor souls who have a history the woman mother and her friends stare at and whisper about in the park why are people so keenly interested in them i wonder why can't they leave them alone it would be charity to do so no one is charitable in london do you think people are more indulgent in the country i suppose not i'm afraid english people keep all their charity for the continent i shall never look at the girl in that group without thinking of her sad story she looks hardly fifteen in the picture poor thing she did not know what was coming they loitered over their tea-table making the most of their happiness the sweetness of their dual life had not begun to pall it was still new and wonderful to be together thus unrestrained by any other presence in the midst of their gay talk juanita's eyes wandered to the bronze time upon the chimney-piece and the familiar figure suggested gloomy ideas oh godfrey look at that grim old man with his scythe mowing down our happy moments so fast that we can hardly taste their sweetness before they speed away to think that our lives are hurrying past us like a rapid river and that we shall be like him pointing distastefully to the type of old age the wrinkled brow and flowing beard before we know that we have lived it is a pity sweet that life should be so short her glance wandered to the dark oak panel above the clock and she started up from her low chair with a faint scream stood on tiptoe before the fireplace snatched half a dozen straggy peacock's feathers from the panel and threw them at her husband's feet look at those she exclaimed pointing to them as they lay there peacock's feathers what have they done that you should use them so oh godfrey don't you know she asked earnestly don't i know what that peacock's feathers bring ill luck it is fatal to take them into a house they are an evil omen and father will pick them up when he is strolling about the lawn and will bring them indoors though i am always scolding him for his obstinate folly and always throwing the horrid things away and this kind of thing has been going on for some years i suppose asked godfrey smiling at her intensity ever since i can remember and have the peacock's feathers brought you misfortune she looked at him gravely for a few moments and then burst into a joyous laugh no 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 she said fate has been over kind to me i have never known sorrow fate has given me you i am the happiest woman in the world for there can't be another you and you are mine it is like owning the koh-i-noor diamond one knows that one stands alone still at the same time peacock's feathers are unlucky and i will not suffer them in your room she picked up the offending feathers twisted them into a ball and flung them at the back of the deep old chimney behind the smouldering logs and then she produced a chessboard and she and godfrey began a game with the board on their knees and played for an hour by firelight End of chapter two